This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Welcome back my friend, how are you doing? How was your first day back at work? Absolutely beautiful, no it was good, I had a good time. Um, how was your first day back with the kids today wasn't it? My first day back today, um, really enjoyed it, um, obviously a bit manic at times but we just need to roll with it now and hopefully everything's up and running in a couple of weeks. Any wee timetabling issues or things like that that I've had to, that still need ironed out or was it all uh, kind of plain sailing? No it wasn't all plain sailing, you know as well as me, it's, it's very really plain sailing in the first few days so, but uh, there's a couple of wee changes in the timetable so we're on to version 4 mm-hmm. so uh, I was good it was, it was a, a productive day just kind of getting um, the final touches on, and changes made to a National 5 course and I'm just trying to get up and running with my S3 games classes so I'm just kind of putting the final touches on to, to trying to simplify that down a wee bit so it's a bit more streamlined and in line with the National 5 so, streamlined. streamlined, I think I'd won in it. That's, that's a, a good one for the big first one back after the holidays. I'm big, I'm big on that. Long, long may they continue. See, my, my vocabulary's improved from doing the podcast. I know, that's it. It's 71, 71 episodes in, we're getting there. Starting to build a bit of vocabulary along the way. Aye, brilliant. Oh well, might as well introduce this week's guest then. So, today on Obo, we're joined by Dylan Scanlon from the University of Limerick. Dylan Scanlon is a PhD regi- uh, researcher in the Department of Physical Education and Sports Sciences at the University of Limerick in Ireland. Right, thanks Lewis. Um, so just to follow on from what Lewis said there, Dylan's research interests include physical education curriculum and assessment, teaching and learning in physical education, teacher education and sociology. I'm sure we'll hear a wee bit about all three as we go through the first question and get a wee bit of background on his career to date. Right, how are you doing Dylan? Welcome to a wee bit of everything. How, how's things? Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me on. Delighted to be here. Big fan of the podcast. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Thanks for um, your, your good feedback over uh, text the other day there about um, listening to the podcast. So yeah. appreciate your support and we're looking forward to hearing your thoughts and on a lot of the research we've been doing on examinable physical education um, and integrated learning experiences. So before we get into that side of it, um, could you give us and the listeners a little background information on your career to date, please? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So I suppose we're going to be talking mainly about my PhD work. So I think I should acknowledge my two supervisors or ex-supervisors now, I suppose, um, Professor Anne McPhail and Dr. Antonio Caltron, who have both shaped my thinking in this space. Um, I think it's also important to clarify the term examinable physical education, because I don't think that's not a really commonly used term. But um, what I mean by it is uh, certificated physical education that's examinable in a high stakes environment. So like A-level PE in England or higher um, higher IP in Scotland or 
senior secondary in Australia, and most recently then in Ireland, leaving Cert PE. So that term, examinable um, physical education. So yeah, getting back to your question, I suppose yeah. my career background in relation to <laughs> examinable physical education is my interest really in examinable physical education started in my master's thesis, which I completed at the University of Chester, right. which, uh, Professor Ken Green. So the thesis was on the sociology of PE, and I was looking at extracurricular PE, and I was going out and talking to teachers about extracurricular PE. But when I got out to teachers, they kept bringing up examinal PE and how it had such a negative influence on extracurricular PE, how it had a negative influence on normal PE. So, for example, there's revision clubs and students were taken out of core PE to go into these revision clubs. And I just found this fascinating because in the literature, it talks about how PE teachers fought to get examinal PE in um, to increase the status of the subject. But then these teachers spoke so negative about it. So that really where it sparked my interest. Um, and then I moved over to back home to Ireland to the University of Limerick to do a PhD with Anne Antonio in the area of examinal PE because our, our course was coming around the corner, leaving Cert PE, was coming to be introduced in the following year. So it was a really perfect time in there for me. Yeah. So my PhD then followed the enactment of the leaving Cert PE subject um, with teachers, students, professional development, curriculum makers, got all different stakeholders of how um, the subject got enacted. So really, yeah, the last five years of my life has really been the examinal PE space. Yeah, so that's just like kind of assessment in PE then as well, like, or would it be the course or is it the, is it both? Yeah, both. So like it's the course and then the assessment. Now the assessment's a bit different in Ireland. Um, our assessment is, so you have your exam worth 50%, your project worth 20% and then a performance assessment worth 30%. Right, but how okay. it's different, I suppose, maybe to Scotland and England and elsewhere is that all our assessments are externally assessed. So the teacher doesn't assess, formally assess them for grades at all. It all goes to the state's examination commission. Okay. Um, even, even the practical as well? Even, even the practical as well, yeah. So it gets recorded and sent off and then oh, it's... Um, ah, right. yeah. So that's I, different, was, different in Scotland, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just a uh, 50% uh, exam and 50% practical, but we assess the practical as a, as a department. Mm. But what's the project? What's, what's the 20%? What's that? Yes, yeah, so the project actually is probably my favourite part. It's a physical activity project where the students choose a sport or a physical activity and they build a project on that. So they, so for example, if it was skateboarding, they would do um, some skateboarding, record themselves doing it and then build an action plan how to improve their performance over mm -hmm. eight weeks. And then they'd uh, implement the action plan, then record themselves again and create this mini video. Um, so it could be anything with uh, weightlifting it could be football it could be basketball so mm -hmm. it's really an independent piece of work so it's a really nice activity for students to do that's brilliant and did they do that did they do that and then is that their own time so it's kind of very independent it is independent now it has to be supervised by a teacher to right. um, but it, it is very independent get some real problem solving skills get some working together so it's a really really nice um, piece oh. of work they put their touch on and the students that I worked with over two years really that was their favourite. Yeah, that's that's what I think. That's what I think. The in Scotland, I think we should do something along those lines because I think when we teach the National Five course, which is the one below higher, um, the pupils are responsible for creating a, a personal development program to improve an area of their performance. So it could be within um, their physical skills in badminton alongside their anxiety and they've got to pick those two factors that's just for an example um but it's quite hard to personalize it would you not agree Clark? like so that every pupil is doing something different and something that's really 
mm-hmm. really interests them. Whereas I think that project lends itself nicely to that. I think we could. I think that's a great idea. Aye, definitely, it's something we could um, introduce as well. So, what what is it they do before hire? Are they level in in Dublin? Like, so, 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 what would you do in like fourth year leading into that? Is it is it an exam as well? No, so we don't have. So I know in England it's GCSE, but we don't have the equivalent of that there. Um, in the first three years, they do core physical education, um, which is non-examinable. Now they do some formative assessments yep. and stuff like that, but it's non-examinable per se, similar to uh, GCSE or A level. And then they go straight into our leaving cert. So it's um, like a, is that a two-year course? Uh, a three-year course, and then into a two-year course. And a two-year, so it's yeah. like a two-year higher then. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Yeah. Right. So is the so did you say the project's only worth twenty percent? Yeah, the project's only worth twenty percent. Ah right, okay. Yeah, which would be I I'd like to have been the other way around and I know the students which would have liked that as well because it's a lot of work goes into it. It is a lot of time consuming, a lot of their own work goes into it, whereas the yeah. performance assessment, um a lot of work goes into that as well, but probably the weighting could be a bit different. Yeah. That's the feedback from the students now, not my own feedback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then is it just one sport, yeah? Yeah, so um, they, get, they get to choose. There's six physical activity areas, um, and the teachers, in conjunction with the students, get to choose three, um, three physical activity areas that, or three sports within those areas that they uh, learn over the two years. Okay. Yeah, so they could do... Um, so it, saves, it, it solves the problem of maybe just choosing, choosing two invasion games. Yeah. It might have to be one invasion game and one dance or one aquatics and one neck game. Yeah, yeah okay. like get a variety yeah. then. Yeah. Nice one. Right, so um, so what unit did you go to yourself then? Was it Limerick as well? No, I actually went to one in Waterford, an Institute of Technology in Waterford, yeah. So Waterford right. to Chester to Limerick. So I've been a bit all over the place. <laughs> well travelled. Tra- well what Waterford? Waterford, yeah, it's down south. In um, England or in Ireland? In Ireland. In Ireland, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. The only reason I know that is I've got a football team. Oh, oh yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I should have seen them, their name flying about somewhere on Sky Sports News. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never get that off on another list. Everything uh, uh, exactly. <laughs> right, so we've spoken a bit about the kind of... You've not even got Sky. That <laughs> was a secret. I still didn't tell anybody that. <laughs> right, um, so I'm moving on to the kind of integrated learning experience so would that just be taking the theory into a practical setting and trying to uh, develop their understanding of key concepts within a practical setting or am I getting that mixed up? Yeah it is that it's a pretty tough question as well because I suppose it's so ill-defined and whatever you look at but that is essentially it it's if you look at examinal P there is two distinct bodies of knowledge you have your theoretical knowledge and you have your practical knowledge and then, in, interestingly, in my own research and other research, teachers usually associate the theoretical knowledge with the classroom and the practical knowledge with the PE hall. Yep. What an integrated learning experience does is it's where those both forms of knowledge are taught within the same experience. So an experience yep. that integrates theory and practice to move beyond that uh, theory-practice duality. So it's trying to get them all within that same learning experience. And you'll see in examinal physical education curriculum internationally, that this concept of integration is there implicitly or explicitly or theories around integration. It's central to the um, curriculum development. So I did pull out a quote here from the Leaving Sir P specification, the examinal PE in Ireland. It says in the aim, the emphasis on providing learners with integrated learning experiences 
where there's a balance between developing personal performance in the selective physical activities and participation in physical activity. So very explicitly saying there needs to be a balance there around integrated learning experiences. And I quickly looked at the higher PE in Scotland and states under approaches to learning and teaching, the integration of knowledge and understanding with practical activities reinforces and applies skills, knowledge, understanding in a meaningful context. Mm -hmm. The course develops thinking and practical skills through problem solving activities. So here integration is implicitly embedded into the teaching and learning strategies section of your um, mm -hmm. curriculum. So it's interesting how it's always there. It's very central, but the issue is that it's very problematic of how to enact it. We still don't really know or mm -hmm. understand of how to enact integrated learning experiences. And that's where my interest is, is how mm -hmm. teachers interpret that, how they pick up that text and say, okay, what's this going to look like in my classroom? How are they going to change it into pedagogical practices? That's where, that's mm -hmm. where I find fascinating that process. So do you find like through your research and think, like going into schools and stuff like that and speaking with teachers that, there is that duality, like it is the most common way of doing it when it comes to examinable PE is to do, for example, a, a lesson on data collection and then in the theory setting and then going in and doing it in the practical, like the next lesson. Is that like the most common practice you've seen? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not a way of blaming the teachers for doing yeah. it. There's so many factors involved, like timetabling, for example. Mm -hmm. usually, well, in Ireland, you usually have three theory classes and one double practical. So straight away, that lends itself to having three theoretical classes and one practical class. Mm -hmm. I do. So it goes something like that. It's the other way about in Scotland for us. It's more kind of three and one for our yeah. national five anyway for me. So mm -hmm. three, three, uh, three practical and one theory. Yeah. Well, that's what I do to start with. And then it's I sometimes go to two and two as we get further on with the course and we need to start typing up answers. But And that'd be it, lovely to be able to have that freedom to change I know yeah. now you're stuck with the, well, the teachers I worked with, they were stuck with the same timetable. Oh, they? Yeah, so it would be nice to be able to change like that. I know in England it moved to kept, when I was over in England, the teachers I worked with, the majority of their time was always in the classroom because of the pressures of the A-level system and the pressures of the Leaving Cert system is very accountable. It's a high stakes assessment environment. So there's always that context there that really um, pushes teachers into teaching the classroom because it's yeah. the way it's done if that makes sense just trying yeah. to get them to understand the knowledge yeah yeah I think sometimes we lose the essence of the subject though don't you like the, the physical education element of it oh 100 percent. and i think yeah and this is where integrated learning experiences has so much potentiality and so much possibilities to bring that back into mm -hmm. how can we do theory and practice within the same learning experience mm -hmm. yep. i think that the like the teachers that we've had on that have like maybe retired and like taught like a, a good few years ago their kind of philosophy and stuff was just teach everything through the practical that's what they that's what they, they, that's they firmly believe that though yeah i think that's what it probably used to be like wasn't it back then when they'd done it everything was probably practical yeah but even now. yeah but even though that it was still like examinable pe though like uh, it was I, still like, I know, but i think there probably wasn't as much pressure back then yeah with the whole I, I, perhaps, I suppose yeah and I, I think like it's a it's definitely where like it's kind of idealistic, I suppose, or romanticized in one way because, yeah, teach everything to the practical, practical sounds great. Mm. But even, for example, I know some of the students and teachers I worked with was when teachers taught more in the practical space, the students wanted to go back to the classroom because they're saying, we're not learning. We need to, we're having a big exam coming up. This is our future. We need to get go into university <laughs> yeah. and to learn because of the traditions of learning. To learn is in a classroom. Mm -hmm. A whole culture shift that needs to happen here as well. So it's yeah. not just, I suppose, the teacher, it's not even the students, it's all these multiple factors around tradition, culture, learning, yeah. and all 
contextualized, but it's a real high stakes, accountable environment of mm-hmm. uh, a level leaving search, whatever country you want to say it in. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and the higher PE exam is like a two and a half hour long, like it's a big meaty piece of writing where you've got to have good literacy skills to answer like all the different command words that are asked so that you're structured in the answers properly in response to the question. So I suppose it would, it would be quite difficult to be able to retain all that knowledge and teach it perfectly through purely practical. So yeah. I think it's like you say, it's about having a balance, isn't it? Yeah, it's trying to find that balance. And as you said, a two and a half hour exam and students are having that in their English and their maths and their other subjects mm-hmm. as well, where they're used to learning in classrooms. So their habits are in classrooms. So when a PE teacher might say, let's move all this into practical space, you might get some resistance there from the students. Mm-hmm. So again, it's not, it's trying to figure out how we can teach in these integrated learning experiences that complement that um, context. Yeah, so I don't think you're getting much re- resistance from the pupils if it was four, four periods of practical in my National 5 class, for sure. I think I would only get the resistance if it was in the classroom. So, so if I've got my national class then the ne- next week and I want to keep it four, four, four practical and zero in the theory, can you sell it to me? Like, how am I going to do it? What's the, kind of st- the, the strategies that I can use to try and bring it to life? Yes, yeah, so you want to keep it mainly in the, in the practical yeah. space. Is there anything yeah. you can do to bring the theory into the practical? Yeah, there's, a lot, there's actually what we're doing. I'm working with two teachers now and Anne as well, Anne MacPhail, on a project on this on integrated learning experiences, more in the, the leave insert space of how what this looks like. Yep. Um, and there's loads of different things that can be done. For example, teach, one, one teacher has come up with an idea around um, teaching strategies and feedback, mm-hmm. where they get the students to play a game and the other, teach, other students are recording them and they swap roles and they identify through the recording. They're doing a form of assessment really on the recording of where the strategies are. So they're learning about theory through practice. One way that I always think is, now I'm a big advocate of them, is the curriculum instructional models. Because the curriculum instructional models, in essence, are about marrying theory and practice. So TPSR, Sport Edge, TGFU, mm. cultural studies. Those, uh, cult- uh, those curriculum instructional models, they do marry theory and practice. So if we get them within the classroom, they're going to help you in those integrated learning experiences. Mm-hmm. You can take as- well, I believe you can take aspects of certain models so I might take this part of TPS or this part of sport ed and bring it together to create your own integrated learning experiences because those integrated learning experiences as you'll see when you start to try to um, get them out and start to do them they're really tough mm-hmm. you need to be creative you need to think outside the box yeah, so um, th- those curriculum instructional models will definitely help yeah, your, your four classes yeah I feel I feel as if um well, I don't know if you agree. See the sport ed and all that. I think that mm-hmm. that should be, be really good for the the, the certificated classes. Yes, yeah. like we'd never do that, would we? We just focus that on the core. If you think, think about it in terms of training programs and uh, and others, you could definitely come up with some sort of grouping that would some sort of hybrid. Aye, some hybrid. I, I know. Yeah, yeah. That's you, that's it. You just need to be really creative because I think it would be hard if because typically it would be taught through one sport, wouldn't it? But depends what your school does as well. Like if they do the Nat Five course through say basketball or just like yeah. one sport it's trying to yeah. I think if with your example like, again that's trying to think outside the box and bounce ideas even off each other here yeah. so you're thinking of one sport but basketball and this is speaking like Deborah Tannehill now but basketball is an invasion game and all invasion games are the same mm-hmm. basketball is the same as soccer the same as ultimate frisbee they all essentially have defenders you have attackers zones so if you take away the sport and keep the central concepts, then you can start mixing up the different sports to teach whatever yeah. you are trying to teach. 
So again, it's trying to think creatively and trying to um, think outside the box to try and tap into the potentials of these integrated learning experiences. Interesting stuff. So Dylan, when preparing um, the pupils for exams, is it a one-way street? Or as in the teachers teach the knowledge in the classroom before applying or reinforcing such knowledge through the practical experiences? Yeah, I suppose it, it can be. And I think um, you got the notion of the one-way street from that presentation I mm. sent from it. I, I, I tried to wrap my head around it as best I could. <laughs> yeah. so we, uh, we presented that at ISEP this year yeah. and the one-way street approach came from one of my PhD studies where I worked with two teachers teaching the curriculum and I interviewed those two teachers every week for a year on how they taught that week. So mm -hmm. what went well, what didn't go so well um, and how they taught integrated learning experiences. So we got a real, a real good bond and started to understand really in-depth this teaching. And I also interviewed their 12 of their students on integrated learning experience as well, which is pretty cool. But um, what I found was teachers, those two teachers were mainly teaching integrated learning experiences in this one-way street approach, which I called it. So teaching in the classroom and then moving in a, or applying that theoretical knowledge into the PE hall through practical experiences. So for example, teaching about feedback in the classroom and then going into the PE hall to do a game around feedback. And um, there were some cases though in the two years that teachers did move to a two-way street whereby they might start with the practical knowledge in the PE hall and then go back to the classroom to reinforce such experiences with theoretical knowledge. Mm -hmm. So go back to the tactics example, you might start in the playing game of football in your PE hall and do some explicit tactics and then go back into the classroom and explore these tactics in more detail. So that two-way street. Um, but what we did call then the holy grail was a spaghetti junction. So where theoretical knowledge and practical knowledge overlap and are taught in the same integrated learning experiences. So that spaghetti junction is the goal that we're trying to get to. I suppose I brought those streets and spaghetti junctions in terms of trying to make the integrated learning experience more accessible to teachers, to try and understand them a bit more, but they are complex and we need to understand more what those spaghetti junctions look like. And that's where I got involved with that project I just said there with the two teachers and Anne, where we're really exploring what those spaghetti junctions look like and creating uh, teaching resources on how teachers can teach to those spaghetti junctions, to those integrated learning experiences. Mm -hmm. And we're working in the community of learners where we meet every month and we're trying to figure out what can these look like and how can a teaching resource, a teaching template help teachers in um, coming to these spaghetti junctions. So mm -hmm. it's ongoing work, but definitely watch this space around that. Yeah, we're getting there. We'll get you back on another 10 episodes. Once you've cracked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I think I'd probably lean probably more towards, I would cover it just briefly and practical and then I would go into more detail and theory. Is that what you do, like, probably the kind of one just before the spaghetti junction? I'm not quite there yet. I'm at the junction before it. <laughs> I, I, I think it just depends what, what it is I'm, I'm teaching. Like if I'm teaching about maybe like approaches to like develop performance, I, some, I tend to like go through that in the practical and then go through different varieties of it and then maybe reinforce it through the theory or do it the other way about. Again, it just depends what... Depends what question you're on for the... At what question then. or how it's timetabled, like Dylan said, like I've, I'm a classroom with a higher class where I maybe don't have the facility to allow me to do like a certain thing that I was planning on doing. Absolutely. And then, you know, so you just need to kind of try and, well, and certainly need to try and be adaptable and um, just make it suit the timetable as well a lot of the time. Yeah, and definitely those factors, like the different learning outcomes you're teaching or what the content you're teaching is going to influence where you're at with the one-way, two-way or spaghetti junction. So where, where you're at in those processes. So, mm -hmm. so many factors. That's what I call the holy grail. Is the holy grail even achievable? It's another yeah. question. I, I, that's what it seems like, doesn't it? Like it feels like it's, yeah. weird even is it? How do you get there? 
Yeah, so you should sit, on a, sit in on our meetings with the two teachers and Anne. <laughs> we're always having these conversations. But one example um, where we're trying to get there, even an example that came to my mind there was one of the teachers, um, there's a learning outcome on something around what facilities are available in your community. Mm-hmm. And usually this, what the teacher said she taught us before was she had a PowerPoint in a class and she went through different types of facilities and what groups of people benefit from that. And she had a, a theory class. The students sat down watched the PowerPoint, took notes. So we took that learning outcome. We tried to, okay, how can we get this to more of a spaghetti junction? How can we get this more of an integrated learning experiences? And we drew on the cultural studies curriculum instructional model and within that community mapping. And for homework, we got the students to go out in groups into the community and start to map what facilities are available. So that, we, we consider that as an integrated learning experiences. Others might not but we consider that as an integrated learning experiences where they're going out and they're involved in the movement and they're involved in exploring their community through a curriculum instructional model. So that's what we're trying to get to, try and think outside the box and think of these in a different light. Mm. So see in terms of the integrated learning experiences then, see for it to be effective. So my kind of interpretation of it is, and this is kind of my understanding, and off the back of speaking to another podcast guest that we had on who was speaking to about how he, he thought that the that PE should be taught solely through the practical. But for for that to work, does that need to be, like the pupils need to take everything, like if it was looking at the factors, how the factors impact on performance. So for example, looking at how anger impacts on performance, um, they would need to play a very competitive game for it to get the actual benefit out of that understanding versus just going in and just having a hit about and then just trying to, does that make sense? Then just trying to explain it without them actually experiencing like those emotions or whatever, depending on what I suppose you're trying to teach. Yeah, I think it'd be very difficult to try and do that. And that's what comes back to how these Mm -hmm. are very complex and very difficult to again, come back to the Holy Grail. Mm -hmm. Is that even achievable to teach all through the practical? And again, Karen Lambert, a podcast on, and other podcasts that listen to Karen Lambert's work, she talks about how, again, we need to think of this differently and think of this creatively as well. And one of her examples was, and one of my te- one of the teachers I work with used this as well, was if students, again, go back to tactics, if students go to a football game at the weekend, that's their homework, to sit at a football game. Therefore, they're involved in that movement experience. Mm-hmm. It's an integrated learning experience. So they're not moving, they're not in the practical experience, but they're involved in the movement experience watching yeah. a football game and taking notes on the tactics, whatever the news, whatever the topic is. So again, people argue against that and say that's not an integrated learning experience. You're, the children aren't moving. I would argue it is. So again, it's very controversial what constitutes as an integrated uh, learning experience, and that's within the literature and within research and within practice. But um, I think, again, going back to it, Lewis, it's just, again, how, how you think of it and trying mm. to think outside the box. Yeah, no, that's helpful, definitely. I think I thought it to be to be meaningful I think it's like if you are going through those different aspects of the curriculum getting them to do it properly like getting them to do their own like you said that project getting them to do their own personal um, sports and then finding like a weakness like by videoing it and then seeing an area and then they've got to physically go and do the research versus you teaching them set content where do you know what I mean I think that just makes it a lot more meaningful and helps it helps to integrate it the two of them together and make them learn once something yeah, that's exactly that's, that's the ultimate goal is it then that's what they'll remember that like 100 yeah. yeah. that seems to be what the integrated learning experience is then is that they take responsibility and they're part of the the process of thinking about 
steps what they're actually trying to learn about and like whether it's a an approach, yeah, and, approach and, to develop performance or and making it meaningful to them as you said yourself and making that that means experience has to be authentic yeah so make again coming back to the basics of nearly um, any learning experience as long as it's meaningful relevant and worthwhile to your students um oh, they're going well. to learn yeah there's nothing worse than doing something that's just not even like like when you're maybe learning something that's just not even relevant you're just doing it for the sake of it to like pass an exam or to get a certificate or a name and a certificate or whatever it is like that's just it doesn't mean anything exactly. you, you very very rarely take that in don't you and you forget it straight away mm-hmm. yeah and it's interesting because i know a lot of the literature will talk about how um on examinable pe is that we need the theory class because students need to write to learn or how can students learn if they're only doing practical experiences? What the students I worked with actually interestingly spoke about understanding by doing, and they learned more when they did it. Mm-hmm. Like they got to the written exam, which was worth 50%. They started to remember stuff that they did in their project. Mm-hmm. They're remembering stuff by doing it rather than sitting in a class and listening or understanding and then doing it. The by doing is what the students advocate for. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I, can, I can resonate with that. I certainly learn better if I'm, if I'm doing something. Yeah, same here. Yeah, but I think I think the the kind of annoying thing is that more of the more higher classes that are having to go through these exams, they end up in in the classroom four periods a week and only doing a small part of practical because that's just what the teachers seem to go to, isn't it? Is like teaching mm-hmm. the theory to the kids and hoping that they take notes and then learn it. That's just and trying to pass. I mean, and I also think the majority of the the pupils that take higher um, are well a lot of them are practically good so i think it is the kind of yeah. theory side that's it trips them up seems to tie, uh, exactly the, the theory side of it trips them up mm-hmm. so it's a yeah. challenge definitely a challenge and i suppose as practical like a lot of the, as you said a lot of the students who did oh not a lot but maybe majority did who did leave in sir p were did it because they loved sport or loved playing or, or practically orientated yeah but i think to really um what's the word emphasize that in integrated learning experiences take control of that okay so that this is what they're good at how can we make them learn within the space they're good at rather than taking out that space they're good at and put them into a classroom and let them sit down mm-hmm. so replaying really to their strengths and that's again comes back to negotiating with the student making that activity meaningful to themselves to the students so um, again huge challenges loads of constraints other factors to be taken in consideration it's not as easy as click your fingers and yeah. be okay that's I, think like, as you, I think as you said, though, it's about being creative, like even maybe setting, and one of the colleagues I was working with uh, this week said that if you set, set them a kind of short quiz after a few weeks, after you've been doing mostly practical because you're getting them back into it, and then as a result of that, if the results aren't good, which you probably won't, won't be because um, it's out the doors, then you can try and sell it to them. Like we need to come and go to the classroom to cover this topic that we're not really getting. So you, you sort of get them to buy into it that way rather than just taking them there to start off with without any kind of reason why yeah and it's different approaches and that could work again it, it comes back to the students are in front of you that could work with that person's students yeah. and then go to say Lewis's students that might not work at all with his students so mm-hmm. again within the context you're in the students who are in front of you that you really yeah. shape your pedagogical approaches too definitely in terms of the students role then for um the previous one was looking at it if it was a, a one-way street what are the how, how do the students have an active role in the process of the, the integrated learning experiences, Don? Yeah, I suppose this is something um, 
that we in our research we really act uh, advocate for that students have a big role to play and they have a big role a big active role to play not only in integrated learning experiences but also in policy enactment in general so within that policy enactment process we believe and we argue alongside others that students are policy actors and teachers are policy actors as well um, and i don't want to go into too much into theory here and keep this more accessible but stephen ball's work highlights how teachers uptake these policy actor roles when they're enacting curriculum so for example a teacher who may be a receiver might do some coping policy work or a teacher as an entrepreneur might do some advocacy or creativity policy work and we argue within that paper in the paper is that students also uptake these policy roles and i can give you an example around that so one of the teachers i worked with followed that one-way street to integrate learning experiences but about halfway through the year she changed over to a two-way street and became more creative within her teaching of integrated learning experiences i think it was um, skill and technique she was teaching at the time so you could say that she went from a receiver policy actor to an entrepreneur policy actor and it was interesting then to explore why did she make that shift why did she go from coping a receiver role to an entrepreneur doing more creative work and it was down to the students and a relationship with the students and the students advocated as i said before they advocate for this um understanding by doing approach rather than an understanding then doing approach mm -hmm. the students were so adamant in the focus groups i did with them they were so adamant that this is what they wanted to do they wanted mm -hmm. to understand by doing and um, or what we would know as an integrated learning experience so the students in that sense were taking up a entrepreneur position role they're advocating for understanding by doing and this influenced the teachers policy actor positional switch or shift and their associated teaching. So the, the students have this relationship with the teacher. And if we look at them as policy actors, they can have a very active role in the policy enactment and also influence their teachers' approaches, how they enact the curriculum as well. So mm -hmm. I think we need to explore, well, research in general needs to explore that more students as policy actors. Yeah, I think the, I think the, the pupils definitely shape the decisions that we make, but you kind of brought that to my, the forefront of my mind there. Like, Sometimes you think you can be you can be too kind of focused on following out a block plan, but then you should actually be listening to what they're saying. And as you said, they they are kind of creating the policies in front of you. The practice is shaping the policy. Yeah, exactly. I think exactly listening to what they're saying that negotiating with the students is key to any type of practice and having that relationship with your students. Um, some quotes here, as I pulled up from that paper on the screen from the students, some interesting quotes. of one student said. I think a lot of people would learn easier if you're actually doing it rather than taking it down and hear what our teacher is saying. Another mm -hmm. student saying, I'm really enjoying this course. The only thing is I wish there were more practical classes. Like there'd be a lot more learning if we we're doing the actual thing. So again, really advocating for the doing. They really put emphasis on understanding by doing. And that then, that advocate, advocate, advocating that they did influence their teacher to change their pedagogical approaches or their policy actor position. So it's interesting. Once we start to listen to our students, mm -hmm. then we start to understand our students and then we start to understand what pedagogical approaches meets their needs. Mm -hmm. It's not even that big an effort or it's not like exactly an arduous task just to kind of get that feedback either. Mm -hmm. not yeah. kind of check in with them every, every couple of months. I think you know yeah. yourself what if it's going as well like I know myself like last year with one of my classes like um, we were on an activity for a while because I just felt it was on volleyball and I just felt like they weren't improving and I was adamant that they were going to be able to play like a, a proper game of volleyball like without any conditions on it and um, before the end of the block but they were just getting so frustrated and then I was like I'm going to need to I'm going to need to change this or else I'm just it's just going to get nowhere 
you know, there was just there was no progress at all. But I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. I just for your information, Dylan, uh Lewis obviously was wanting to stick with the volleyball. He's a big volleyball player. Um <laughs> I'm we, not. we went away to <laughs> went away to Sky up north and <laughs> the camper van they brought the volleyball net as well. <laughs> So we thought we were going to play volleyball, but didn't make you realise. But <laughs> that's, that's how big a player he is. Not, not for enjoyment, just purely for my teaching. Enjoyed <laughs> develop his develop his shots in in the Oscar. That was good. No, I, I, I do agree. You listen, to, as I said, listen to your students and trying to understand them. And it doesn't have to be formal feedback as well. I do say this to my the pre-service teachers I teach. You don't need to collect feedback the whole time. I think it is good to have evidence of the students' feedback, but taking from TPSR, the relational time, talking to students before class, mm. after class, having those informal chats, yeah. you get a lot from them as well. Definitely. Uh, how they want to learn. I think once we match how we teach to how the students want to learn and align that, that's where yeah. the power can be. I think the informal chats, you, they really pick up a lot when they're not in the, the classroom setting in front of their peers. Yeah, exactly as well. Just in in their friendship groups. Yeah. Open up more. Um, right, so just finally then, kind of moving on to sort of a separate question from the rest. We always uh, ask our guests this at the end. We really enjoy some, well, all of the answers we get. They're always kind of different. So lastly then, Dylan, um, in your opinion, what makes a high quality teacher? Yeah, so for me, and I'm speaking as a teacher educator here, my response, I suppose, what makes a high quality teacher for me are two things. Um, the first, a teacher that, and that's following what we're talking about there, a teacher that prioritizes relationships in their teaching. Mm. So building those relationships with your students. And that's Deborah Tannehill consistently inspires me around this and her words come to mind here, which she says, teaching is all about relationships and should be the starting point of our work. So once you understand your students, once you know your students, once you have that relationship with your students, then the teaching can be meaningful, relevant and worthwhile as you negotiate that with your students and their needs and the context you're in. So for me, that's a high quality teacher, focusing in on the students and starting with relationships with students. Um, I'm currently looking at a lot of TPSOR work, so my, my mind frame is very much in that frame, but I think mm -hmm. a really good place to start. And yep. that's one thing for me as a high quality teacher. The second um, would be a teacher who wants to continue to learn. And a, be a better way to learn is to do that with others. I can even see the three of us talking here about integrated learning experiences, yeah. bouncing ideas off each other. Mm. Uh, I think working with others and learning from others is key and particularly yeah. people outside of your silo. So outside of where you work. So for me, teacher educator, working in teacher education, I learned so much when I started to work with teachers or work mm -hmm. with post-primary students rather than consistently working with other teacher educators. I learned a lot from them as well, but working across silos for me, yeah. so same with teachers, teachers working with other teachers in their subject area, with teachers outside their subject areas, with teacher educators. I think that's, really really um important important to try and get that down and try and build those relationships and i think really meaningful learning can come from that as well mm -hmm. uh, it's important to get outside your own sort of bubble and yeah. learn across your horizons yeah exactly and you can do that through like community of learners it's the best for well, i bias but for me it's the best the best recipe yeah. starting up a community of learners i suppose you two have started community learners here with your podcast though as well yeah and um, but starting up community learners that project i said that myself and Anne, two teacher educators are working with two teachers um, and we're learning a lot from these two teachers and those two teachers said to me this community of learners is the best professional development they've ever received yeah so working with others and learning from others learning bringing your own expertise to it and complementary expertise between 
Yeah. The learning and the, that can come from it, the, the innovation that can come from it is just endless. I guess yeah. it's, it's meaningful as well, isn't it? Like it's something that you're truly interested in rather than doing a CPD for the sake of it. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. And, and I always say to um, pre-service teachers when they're finished and even after, drop an email to me or drop an email to some other te- your previous teacher educators if you have a query. You never know what comes from it. Mm-hmm. I've worked with multiple past pre-teachers I taught um, and we've done blogs together, which have been hugely um, beneficial, real good learning experiences. We even have calls. It's like, how are you getting on? Watching your hand, which is the learning outcome. There's all these, we can really learn from each other. I don't know what's happening in the classroom. I'm not in a classroom. They don't know what's happening as much in maybe, uh, say, for example, the research, because that's where I'm at. So we can start to learn from each other and share our expertise with each other. So it's another good tip is to reach out and make those connections. Definitely. Well, that was nice, nice, um, short and sharp there. I quite like the kind of one and two, kept it <laughs> short and sharp. But thanks for that. We're moving on to the actual quick fire round. So this is really short and sharp now. <laughs> that's, that's the final thing we do with all our guests, Dylan. You probably, if you've been listening to some of the podcasts, you've probably um, heard some of the quick fire rounds. So it's just three quick questions and um, kind of three off the cuff answers. So are you ready? Ready. <laughs> cool. Number one, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? I suppose a lot, I could say a lot of things. I'll keep it within the teaching space. Um, <laughs> within the teaching space, I suppose the giant billboard will say, work in baby steps. Um, what I mean by that is it drives me up the wall when people assume that pre-service teachers or even teachers can go into a school and change practices immediately or make huge differences immediately. It drives me up the wall because as we found out in this conversation, there's so many factors at play that can prevent that, like the school culture, other teachers, other students, traditions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my message to pre-service teachers is always, if you want to change something, if you want to make a difference, work in baby steps. Don't try and change the world. Try something yeah. new with one class or try something new in even a part of one class once a week mm-hmm. and then let that grow. Um, Katie Fitzpatrick, I know Dylan Landy on your podcast spoke about Katie. Katie calls it small practices that can over time make a big difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, steps. See... I can really resonate with that and see, I don't know if you've ever had, had the question before, it's like, oh, what, what do you know now that you wish you'd known going into your probation year or something? And that would, that sums that up nicely for me. Like if I, if I ever get asked that question again, that's what I would say. <laughs> because I feel like sometimes you try and take on too much or um, you try and change too much, sorry. And then a wee bit disheartened when it doesn't come through. But no, I really like that one. Can, I can yeah. resonate a lot with that, certainly. And that's it. Once I think exactly you come disheartened. I know myself, I've done it. You try to change too much or you mm-hmm. expect too much and you come disheartened, mm-hmm. then, you give up, then you give up on it. Yeah. yeah. You take it in baby steps. As I said, one part, 20 minutes of one class a week and yeah. let it grow. You're going to have much more value from that. Like you could sit and plan something and think, oh, I'm planning this like amazing block for basketball or whatever it is. And you, you're so happy with it. And then you and just falls flat on its face straight away. Yeah. Like, that was so frustrating, but and the whole class on the first five minutes of your aye. plan. Aye, exactly. So, so, so even Dylan was saying baby steps. That doesn't mean that you need to take baby steps when you're running at the weekends with, with me. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't be waiting on you. Uh, you're the one that struggles to keep up. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, Dylan. He always takes any any opportunity to get a wee fly dig in. Yeah, it's because it's because um, on our last podcast the the guest gave Clark a really hard time, so he's trying to compensate. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so for the show, isn't it? Right, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Right, number two then, Dylan. Which people or books have had the biggest influence on your life? And it doesn't need to even necessarily be teaching or educational related. It can be anything. Yeah, I think um, the list is endless. And I suppose we have another podcast on. I, I honestly couldn't choose certain people of my whole life. If we stick to the teaching part of it or my academic career, the two would have to be Anne MacPhail and Deborah Tannehill, who I've consistently um, mentioned throughout mm-hmm. this podcast. I suppose big advocates of them. And all, I was thinking about when I was asked the question, all my core values and beliefs always come back to those two. Mm-hmm. So Deborah and her belief around relationships and communities and Anne around her belief in different stakeholders working and learning together and that's really where I'm at because of those two so those both have had a huge influence on my life and yeah very privileged and grateful to work with them mm-hmm. and continue to work with them. Brilliant that's good to hear and obviously books you've read a, a few in your time considering you've done a PhD so you, yeah, you don't not, need to start listing off all the books that's fine. No, <laughs> they're not as interesting as people. <laughs> no no that's um, two good references you've made there so thanks. Right, final one then. What final piece of advice would you give to a teacher looking to improve the integrated learning experiences for their students? Yeah, I suppose it's the last couple of points, the last two points, probably join them together. So um, as one of the teachers I work with, they say that integrated learning experiences are tough. And she's right, they are tough. As I said, they require thinking outside the box. And for me personally, the only way I can encourage others to think outside the box and challenge our own thinking is to work with others. So we need to start working with others. We need to start bouncing ideas off each other. Don't take this alone. So start to talk to other teachers, even start talking to other teachers outside the subject of physical education that might be doing something that might prompt ideas. Get back in touch with teacher educators. These working with others and learning from others is how we can challenge our thinking, how we can think outside the box. So approach it in, in that way. Approach integrated learning experiences together. Access the research, apply the research, and then, as always, do it in baby steps. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of came full circle there between number one and three. So um, that rounds off tonight's podcast um, brilliantly. So thanks a lot for coming on, Dylan, and giving up your time tonight to come on and chat to us both. It's been great to, to hear from your, your experiences through your research. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Top man, Dylan. Thanks very much for coming on. That brings us to the end of another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything, Clark, with Dylan Scanlon talking about examinable PE and integrated Learning experiences, what was your takeaways from tonight's episode? You can kick us off. I'll kick you off um, as best I can here. <laughs> um, so now, lots of good stuff in there, as, as always, as we have from every guest that we get on. Dylan is no different. Really enjoyed the chat tonight. Um, and my, my key takeaway message would be around the fact that when you're doing, when you're teaching PE, um, say you're teaching the factors impact and performance, I took a nice strategy away from um, where you can have a couple two or three recording part of the the lesson and then getting them to once i've recorded that going to the side and pinpointing any factors that are impacting the performance um and you know what is it they're actually seeing that's having that impact in fact you get them to go through the three-step process because then they're involved involved in the video and so they feel as if they've got ownership then they're going to be in discussion in the group so they're learning with others which was really big on as well um, and then they're giving you answers at the side and then you can give them feedback so it's just another a creative approach it's just about thinking it's a box I suppose and trying to yeah that could be as an, yeah that could be implemented as part of the bit where you are teaching the facts impact and performance maybe after like a few lessons when yeah. they've got an understanding of the four I factors and then they've got a knowledge of different sub factors and mm-hmm. I um, just build that up yeah but I think it's 
You're being brave though and stepping away for the normal way of making a PowerPoint up and teaching them it and then Aye, definitely. You have to be brave, I suppose, to try it. Um but what would yours be? Well that was those takeaway messages well and truly kicked off, so thanks for that. That's fine, that's half time, it's your turn. <laughs> we've got a 15 minute break come in after I've had my water on that no I'm joking <laughs> you're drinking, what is it? that's not water you're drinking there I can see that glass <laughs> it's clear mate tell me it's is water protein shake if you're on the internet what is that you're drinking a Love Island bottle mm-hmm. is it is actually, is actually one of the it say Mr Burrell on it one of the people who's got me from my school last year <laughs> the, the hard and that was, uh, that was you pretending you don't you don't watch it either <laughs> but what, is it, what was it you were saying that you, right, I'm going to cut you off there and tell you my takeaway message. <laughs> the vanilla, vanilla protein shakes. <laughs> what? You're on the protein shakes so you try to bulk. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm doing too much running for my bulking. <laughs> right, kick us off. Right, my takeaway message from tonight's episode is something that I wish I knew and applied going on to my NQT or my probation year, or even still now, is what Dylan said for his um, first question, or his first eye question of the, the quickfire round, and it was work and baby steps. So don't go and try and make a massive drastic change, That whether that be um, something like a behaviour strategy or trying a new model to teach PE, just try it in, in small steps. And um, even if it is like 20 minutes a week with a class and build it up until you become, become proficient at using it or whatever it is that you're trying to trying to learn because it is... It's kind of unrealistic to think you can just go in and boom, change something massively. Mm-hmm. It's, so, like, it's like that half marathon we're going to do. Like you don't just go and run the half marathon. You've got the step step by step weekly program that you need to follow. And aye, exactly. Go about it. So yes. It's like everything. You don't just take a, a a a pint of water and just drink it whole, unless your name's Clint Burrow. You know, that's a or a, a, a pint <laughs> of beer or a plate of dinner and just eat it in ten seconds, unless <laughs> you're Clint Burrow. <laughs> right, that'll do us for the night. We'll, we'll finish on that. But yeah, I think uh, I've uh, went off on a tangent there. No, but I did. I did really like that take you message. Working baby steps and apply that to your teaching. That's um, that's a, a real, real good bit of advice. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.